What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. What is good, everybody? Welcome to The Look Ahead, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrera. He is RJ Ochoa. What's up, RJ? How's it going, Stats? Always great to be with George Kittle's number one hater. Uh, I'm invigorated. Haven't spoken to you since you've been on vacation. You look, uh, you've got a glow about you, to be quite frank. Uh, the hair looks great. The skin looks great. I mean, just the way you're moving. Uh, you look, you know, refreshed, recharged, and ready to roll. I am refreshed. This is my vacation strategy. This is like what I do. I take three days every year. The first day, I don't want to know nothing about work. Like Levi Stadium could be burning to the ground and I would not care. Day two comes around. I'm like, you know, if I started doing this at work, that'd be pretty good. And by day three, I'm like, all right, pack up this. I got to get back to work. Uh, everybody needs to know on the subject of packing that Stats was kind enough to text me a photo of his fully packed vehicle uh, heading home. It looked like Stats from vacation. Yep. And I mean, just a marvelous job. I mean, chef's kiss. I mean, just Tetris in in a car. <laughs> I mean, I, I really and I, I told you this then and I'll say it now. The true sign that it was a family vacation was the like crushable TJ Maxx bag. Like that's, that's the one bag that when you're looking like, man, I need to make some space. You're like, what if I just smush this? You know what I mean? Like everybody's been there and sometimes you're in a rush and you get to like, you know, cause it's that hard plastic. I don't know why they give those bags out. I actually <laughs> hate those bags. I hate packing those bags. I tell my wife or my mom, whoever it is, just get a bag with a zipper because what invariably happens is they've given us this stuff to pack and then you put it sideways and all the crap falls out. First of all, if you have to put it sideways, you're already doing something wrong. Before I left, you were like, oh, you're pack the car guy. And I was like, no, I'm not that guy. And then my wife said, oh, I just about got the car packed. There's a couple more things we have to add. So I went in the back. I opened up the hatch and I look and I'm like, oh, this is all wrong. Yeah. And I took everything out and I repacked the car and I wasn't mad about it. And then I finished and I was like, son of a bitch, I am packed the car, dad. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, it's it's a special uh, role that, that some people feel in life is to be the person that packs the car. And you know what? You know, while others sleep, we grind stats. I mean, look, there's just a right way to do it. OK, there's just a right way to have things done so that everything is in there. It fits. It fits securely. Nothing is jingling and jangling around back there. You don't have to worry about it. And if you can't do it right, why do it at all? Exactly. I do also want to say, while I noted that you are the top hater of George Kittle, that I really know. I, I don't know anybody who hates such an incredible player on their football team the way you hate George Kittle. Um, I do want to rep Kyle Barber uh, because, look, I know the oddcast, for whatever reason, still continues. I, I guess they're <laughs> they're kind to you guys, let you hang out you know, for an hour every week. Um, and you guys, when you discuss the AFC North this week, you're like, this isn't even a contest. Lamar Jackson is the best quarterback in this division. Totally with you. And then all of the analysis was spent crapping on Lamar and elevating Baker Mayfield. Come on, man. Let's get some respect for Lamar Jackson in these parts. How dare you? I chose Lamar and it was easy. And I recommend everybody go back and check out that episode. <laughs> we have been previewing the divisions here on the SB Nation NFL show as we lead up to the start of training camp next week. It's next week, RJ. I'm so pumped. Like, we made it. It's next week for you, Stats. It's this week for the real teams. The Dallas Cowboys, at the time you and I are talking, have already had a training camp practice. We have full recaps available, as always, at blogontheboys.com, on the Blog and the Boys podcast network, on the Blog and the Boys YouTube channel. Blog and the Boys, no big deal. Stats, SB Nation's top website across all sports. <laughs> I'm sorry. I only care about teams with an actual chance to win the Super Bowl. Sorry, Steelers. Sorry, Cowboys. Who has won a Super Bowl more recently? And that's because the Dallas Cowboys have experienced an incredible drought. The Dallas Cowboys or the San Francisco 49ers? 
the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. I'll ask you this. Who's been to a Super Bowl more recently? Who's okay. been to an NFC title game? How did those recently? go? I mean, you know, do we want to really talk about that? You were actually bringing up the you know Super Bowl 47 when you were talking about, you know, John Harbaugh and all this stuff. I mean, do we really want to talk about that game? You really want to walk down memory lane that way? I mean, look, if you're legit bragging that you won a Super Bowl <laughs> in 95 and my team won one in 94, like, okay, congratulations. Boom, but roasted. Since, <laughs> since then, your team has, what, three playoff wins? Nobody's talking about since then stats. We're just going to this. This is a, a point in time. That's we're just discussing that. That's All simply right. the question here. Let's move on. Oh, we wait, have stats. A lot. sorry. Last thing. What did you think of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl rings that came out on Thursday night? I hated it. Here's the deal that no one wants to admit. Super Bowl rings are tired, okay? They're boring. They all look the same now, pretty much. They've run out of ideas. Now the thing is, have a part of it be detachable. Like, yeah, okay, <laughs> that's an attractive feature of a ring. Like, they're dumb now. They're ugly. They're bulky. You look like a pirate that just robbed somebody when you're wearing one. And here's my ring hot take, RJ. They got to get rid of them. Get rid of the championship ring. They're stupid. They're just they're obscene, and I have a, a solution. Okay. A championship pendant. No, I did go through several things. I think I figured it out. I found one that is both interesting and practical. Championship watches. No, no way. Do you championship know how, watches. No. Here mm -hmm. we go. One, players generally wear huge-ass watches all the time anyway. And two... It's practical because it will still function as a timekeeper so you can wear it and have an actual use out of it as opposed to a Super Bowl ring that you're basically just wearing because it's a Super Bowl ring and it actually restricts what you can do with that hand. I 1000% disagree with this take. Um, first of all, if everybody had championship watches, you wouldn't be able to do the photo where everybody puts up the ring. You know what I mean? Like everyone would be like awkwardly... You like just throw your their... wrist up. We'll no, if you threw it up the way you just did, it would sag down to your elbow. I mean, because it'd be so heavy. Not if this... it fits. Nah, watches are a bad idea. I agree that the Super Bowl rings are ostentatious, but that's the charm of them. I agree no. it's kind of silly how, like, now we have this detachable thing, and now we have to, like, ascribe all of this meaning, right? Like, there's 283 diamonds because of 28 to 3. Like, I like that stuff, but, you know, and, and how the, the Bucks put, like, you got to put all the scores from every playoff game. And I get that, and I'm fine with it. Uh, I told you this uh, on Thursday night when I first saw the photo. The thing I hate the most when it comes to Super Bowl rings, and I really do hate this, is when a franchise like the Bucks puts all of their Lombardi trophies on the ring. So the Bucks last night, Thursday night, every Buccaneers player that was on the Super Bowl team last year got a ring that had two Lombardi trophies. That's stupid. How many of them have won two Lombardi trophies with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? None of them. It's dumb. It's cool when you look at every ring Tom Brady has with the New England Patriots, for example, because he can put on the sixth one and be like, yeah, I won all six of these Lombardi trophies, but <laughs> right. nobody else can do that. You know what I mean? Like, it's ridiculously dumb. And I'm fine if you want to do some sort of, like, ode to your franchise, like maybe have two bigger diamonds, right, to represent, you know, the two Lombardi trophies in franchise history. But nobody was a part of the first one that John Gruden won. It, the, the ring has to be the team logo. Those are the best rings. One of the best rings is the Saints ring. I know you hate the Saints. That Their ring is beautiful because it's just the logo. Those are the ones that look the best. I disagree. I think Super Bowl watches are where it's at. If you go back in the history of other sports, they used to give out championship pocket watches way back in the day. Oh, my gosh. What a get off my lawn take. We need some pocket watches. Back in my day, we That's had That's not what I said at watches. all. I'm simply <laughs> pointing out that there is a history of giving out championship bling that isn't a ring there's other stuff that you can do and i think that the rings are tired now that we've reached just a breaking point with the championship ring get rid of it if you agree with me hit us up on twitter i'm at stats on fire he is at rj ochoa i need to come up with a cool hashtag rj what about like hashtag ring thing Ring watch, ring hashtag ring watch because it's a pun. It's like literally watching the rings, but also like a suggestion for the alternative, a ring watch. And let's be honest, RJ, these things are getting so big and gaudy anyway. They need to go to a watch because there's not enough room to fit more stuff on top of them. 
That's true. Um, Stats, I know we have to move on, and I know this episode is already off the rails. It feels like every episode of the SBN Nation NFL <laughs> show that I'm on is is off the rails. I just mm-hmm. want to slide this in just because it's breaking news while we're recording. It has nothing to do with the NFL. Um, the MLB franchise located in Cleveland has a new name as of Ooh, this moment. I love this stuff. They are going to be known as the Cleveland Guardians. That is the new name for the MLB franchise located in the city of Cleveland, Ohio. Cool. I'm down with that. That's fine. I, I'll, I'm not, I don't get like super fired up about this stuff, um, but that's off the board now for the Washington football team. The logo, that's a great point. The logo is very weird. Um, it, it looks very 90s, which you would think would kind of trigger some nostalgia, but it's like, and I don't know if you can find it on Twitter while I'm stalling for you, which is sort of the plan, um, but <laughs> it's like a G. There's two Gs uh, with, with wings behind it, uh, and it's kind of, kind of three-dimensional, and um, the two Gs are sandwiching a baseball, I guess, to make it appear as if the baseball's on fire. Or, or like moving at a blazing speed. Um, I, the, the one thing I'm not a fan of is the logo. I'm, I'm okay with the name. And, and I like the script look of the word Guardians. It looks, you know, very similar. Um, but the actual logo is one I'm I'm not necessarily on board with. The logo itself looks terrible. The new <laughs> Guardians is cool. The script is cool. All right. This is a football show. Let's get back to football now, RJ. We are going to preview the AFC South. We drew the short straw. I'm just going to say it. The AFC South stinks. The division as a whole stinks. It's by far the weakest division in the NFL. And when you look at this team, I think they would get absolutely worked by the other division all-star teams. Yeah, this is um, this is really bad. And I don't know of any other way to fully accent how bad it is than to say that with a solid year, Carson Wentz is in contention to be on this team. Mm, and I, I, don't, no. I don't no, but I mean, like, maybe, maybe not. That, that might be a bit too far. But my point is, like, he's closer on this team than he would have been on any other team. That's just kind of the quality of the team. I think you need to put some respect on Ryan Tannehill's I name. I got some... Texas Aggie. So I respect, I remember Ryan Tannehill, the wide receiver, people. All right. You know. <laughs> People forget about that. By the way, for all your individual team needs in the AFC South, check out the fine SB Nation websites, Music City Miracles, Stampede Blue, Big Cat Country, and Battle Red Blog. Sorry, Houston Texans fans. There's not exactly going to be a ton of your dudes on this team. Yeah, uh, this is rough. Do you want to start on offense stats? Do you want to start on defense? I'll tell you full disclosure, I had difficulty fielding an entire team, so I'm definitely open (laughs) for suggestions. Let's start with the offense because I'm, I'm kind of fired up about Ryan Tannehill. Like this just in, he's really good. And the people that think that it's all Derrick Henry are dead wrong, 100% wrong. First with Tannehill, over the last two years, he has 66 total touchdowns in the 26 games he started. And Tennessee has attempted the third fewest passes in the NFL last year and Tannehill still getting it done I know it sounded like I disrespected Ryan Tannehill but like I said we share an alma mater and that's not a joke if you are like unaware he was a wide receiver in college that was when yep. I was in college that he, he played wide receiver Gerard Johnson was the quarterback at Texas A&M um Tannehill the Manahill was what people called him around college <laughs> station uh <laughs> every girl had a crush on him like that was the, the I mean it was a true kind of like Texas you know football cliche um not texas the university that is now um kind of you know being a little bit cowardly no big deal you know wanted to join the big boys in the sec but uh ryan Tannehill, i i I do think the i i think that and i'm not saying that you're perpetuating this but there is a perpetuation like everyone needs to respect ryan Tannehill. like nobody respects him i do think that the the like consensus media has caught up a little bit to that that to, from where it used to be I, mean, I certainly think you're right like circa 2018 the the first run that the titans went on i do think that everybody thought he's just a bus driver he's just hanging out he's just along for the ride uh 2019 i know i said 2018 um and so i i think he has firmly established himself as a top 10 quarterback in the nfl might be kind of hovering around nine or ten, but that's totally fine. I mean, he's he's more than good enough. And I again, I think that's the idea. That's the perception about him. He's a, a incredible quarterback. He I I feel like he's like a piece of salmon. Like nobody 
gets fired up about salmon, but it's good for you. It's healthy. It's delicious if it's baked right, if it's seasoned right. I mean, like he's he just he checks all of the right boxes, but he just doesn't look as appealing on the menu as steak or even sometimes chicken. So I want to give credit to Warren Sharp because I learned a lot of this looking at his preseason guide since Ryan Tannehill took over in week seven of 2019. The Titans average 31 points per game. That's third best in the NFL behind only the Ravens and the Saints. I'll say that again. Since Ryan Tannehill took over, the Tennessee Titans average about 31 points per game. That's more than the Chiefs. Like, why doesn't this dude get any credit? And I know what you're going to say. People are going to say that it's all Derrick Henry, that, that Ryan Tannehill is just along for the ride. But that's not true. In the first six games of 2019, Derrick Henry was averaging 3.68 yards per carry with four touchdowns, which, by the way, was nearly identical to what he was doing in 2018. But in the final nine games of 2019, with Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry averaged 5.92 yards per carry with 12 touchdowns and 125 yards per game. The same statistical improvement applies to A.J. Brown. It has not been Ryan Tannehill riding the Code Hills. He is the reason why the Tennessee offense is as good as it is. Shout out Ryan Tannehill. And and again, I mean, like just for the sake of conversation, Carson Wentz is I, again, like if he returns to MVP form, like duh, if any quarterback plays at an MVP level, they're in contention here. Um, but that's certainly not the case. He is just a wild card. That's kind of my point. A wild card of sorts. Maybe you believe that Carson Wentz is washed and already done. Um, you know, you look at obviously Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence has potential, but you know, not proven in the NFL, certainly. And Houston, I mean, it's, it's difficult to gauge that, but um, I mean, it, it, I think there's an argument for Ryan Tannehill, even if Deshaun Watson were playing. I mean, I know Deshaun Watson is an electric quarterback on the field, uh, but right now, obviously, it's difficult to categorize him in any sort of way. I agree. I didn't consider Deshaun Watson as part of this discussion because, number one, I have no idea. I don't think he's even going to play this year. But number two, if he does, I'm 99% sure it's not going to be for the Houston Texans. I'm pretty sure it's probably going to go over to the NFC. I keep hearing the Eagles is the team that that seemingly is in position to get him. So I took him out of the discussion. Although if you're forcing me to put him in there, then I would put him over Tannehill. But like I said, I, I think his days in the AFC South are done. I know we've talked to Deshaun and Aaron Rodgers a whole lot. Um, I just, I mean, generally speaking, we're like training camps here. You know what I mean? I just, I, I'm not disagreeing with you at all, but I find it so hard to believe that any quarterback, any starting star quarterback is going to be on a team that he is not, on at the moment and and that applies to Aaron Rodgers Deshaun, Deshaun Watson just because it's so difficult to pull that off in such a small amount of time I guess but what what is the team going to say no we can't acquire Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers like if it's possible they're going to do it yeah I mean I guess that's true but if they did that then we would have to redo this whole divisional exercise because then we'd have to re-rank everything based on where players are in their new homes well we'll see we'll cross that bridge when we get to it let's go to running back now I don't think there's any discussion to be had. It's clearly Derrick Henry. Do you have anything to say in opposition to that? I have nothing. I mean, you you made the case for Derrick Henry when you ripped off all of uh, his statistical production uh, with Ryan Tannehill. I mean, it's amazing that they're they're both as good as they are. If you're coming off of two thousand yards, I mean, we could we could sit here for hours. I'm sure half of Warren Sharp's book is about Derrick Henry and his incredible season, but um, I feel like that encompasses who he is. He's one of the dudes who's challenging the running backs don't matter argument um, in some ways, in some respects. I, I mean, it's it's working for them in a way it hasn't for any other team. And so, Derrick Henry, congrats. Here's a stat about Derrick Henry that I didn't get from Warren Sharp, but it blew my mind. He has been in the NFL for five years now. And every year that Derrick Henry has been in the league, he has improved his rushing total by at least 200 yards, which means, RJ, that, you know, he's now destined to run for 2,200 yards this season. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I am fascinated to see him this year. I've always, you know, Cowboys fans look at Derrick Henry in 2016. The Cowboys first two picks were Ezekiel Elliott and 
Jalen Smith, obviously, in the first and second rounds, whereas the, um, you know, you, you could have looked at some combination of things. The Jacksonville Jaguars took Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack, and a lot of people liked that combo. But a lot of people suggested you could have taken Jalen Ramsey and Derrick Henry, uh, and you could have walked away with a better defender and a better running back. Uh, you mentioned Jalen, uh, excuse me, Derrick Henry, you know, producing 200 yards more every single season, whereas Ezekiel Elliott's yards per game have gone down every season since his rookie year. Um, Derrick Henry was the guy who'd won the Heisman Trophy, but Zeke got all the love and attention entering that draft. And I don't think there's any question that Derrick Henry's the best running back in the NFL right now. I think you could make an argument that if you took the best player at every position in the NFL, that the widest gap between one and two might be Derrick Henry and whoever you think the second best running back is. The other argument for that discussion is probably Aaron Donald. That's who I was thinking, Aaron Donald, just because he's he's an absolute freak. But Henry is he's a monster. Forty seven total touchdowns in the last three years. I do think that this might be the final year of the Derrick Henry dominance. He's had so many touches over the past three, four years, not to mention heavy usage in college as well. He's twenty seven years old now, which is pretty much like the final couple of good years you can squeeze out of a running back before all that wear and tear begins to take its toll. But for right now, it is clearly Derrick Henry. Uh, let's move on to wide receivers. And the whole offense, pretty much, RJ, is Tennessee Titans because the, the two choices for me that jump off the page are A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Yeah, that's easy. Um, I mean, again, not a lot of insight here. We can only applaud the Titans offense you know, in so many words and so many adjectives. Stats and I are both highly educated, both incredibly smart, incredibly wise, uh, <laughs> incredibly sound, have impressive dialects, speak multiple languages, at least. Incredibly humble. Right. Um, I don't know if you speak a second language, Stats, uh, but if you don't, you know, maybe that's an off-season project for you in 2022. Who knows? Get the Duolingo app. But, um, I mean, it, it's AJ Brown and Julio Jones. This was a really sad exercise, and I kind of like the Titans. I know Michael Kist is favorite team or second favorite team is kind of like the Titans. Uh, Buck Rising is a great friend of the SB Nation NFL show. Uh, so it's nice to see the Titans getting all this love. And so, um, yeah, congrats. A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, something super predictable happened. A.J. Brown, 17.4 yards per catch over the last two years. That is the most in the league. He has 18 touchdowns in 25 games with Ryan Tannehill, and he makes big plays, RJ. Seven touchdowns from 40-plus yards. Like, he's, you know, not a burner, but he can make a big play because he's pretty much impossible to tackle. Now, the only thing I'll say here, and I've I've held this point ever since the trade, I think of all the people that have, have made these teams – Julio Jones might be riding the most name recognition um, just because last season wasn't a, a large enough sample size. His career is incredibly decorated. I'm not trying to doubt Julio Jones, um, but but we're a lot of this is, is based on like, well, yeah, it's going to work. You know what I mean? Where, you know, that opportunity or that potential is is one of many different potentials. But they needed another wide receiver. Yeah, if I'm they- not blaming them. Yeah, if they didn't have Julio Jones, I don't think there's anybody on the roster besides J.J. Brown that had even 20 catches last year. Like, they had to get somebody. I think Julio is a great addition. Julio is probably going to face less double teams than he's ever faced in his whole career because, to me, I think you got to double A.J. Brown over Julio Jones, although I don't know. And, by the way, the Julio, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry triumvirate is probably the most physically imposing triumvirate in the NFL. Triumvirate, a great word, shows off your incredible category or, or catalog of speech and words and nouns and verbs that you know. So way to go, Stats. Proud of you. Um, I'm curious, this because, again, all this was super obvious. Who is your third wide receiver? I, I think this is still obvious, but I was just curious. This, this was where some debate begins, I think. I didn't love my options here, but I think I went with Brandon Cooks. Mm-hmm. want to give the Texans a little love. Like, Brandon Cooks is the dude that nobody wants, and I don't really know why. If you go back and look at his career, no matter where he's been, he basically gives you a 1,000 yards and, like, five to seven touchdowns a year. And nobody wants him. He keeps going from team to team. They can't wait to get rid of him. Yeah, it's kind of the Brandon Cooks starter pack. I mean, that's, that's the experience in a nutshell. I do think it's interesting. And I feel like this point isn't made about him, and I know we're we're elevating him right now. But he's a head coach or, or a player who who head coaches Sean Payton, Bill Belichick, and Sean McVay have all said, "I'm good." That's amazing. Like when you think about it, like those three dudes. I know you hate Sean Payton, but like, if, imagine if any other player had been, you know, I don't say disregarded, but been moved on from by those three coaches. 
I mean, that, you know, if like if you're the next guy that's like, oh, I will be the one to truly elevate Brandon Cooks after these three guys said they were good. That's a really interesting point. But he's played well. That's the weird part of it, too. It's not like he's been bad. He's been good on the field and they still got rid of him. Yeah. Um, sorry, I was distracted by a tweet that said Daniel Jones is a better athlete than Dak Prescott. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's new block it's, right there. Well, welcome to Friday. But yeah, he's been good. It's a weird combination of factors. But, you know, he made our team here. Um, who do you have at tight end stats? I think the choice is obvious. There's only one tight end in the AFC South that you could pick. And I think you know who it is, RJ. I. I think that we're on the same page, but I, I truly am not certain. Come with me. I went with Mo Alley Cox. I don't know. Who who did you go with? Tebow. Whoa. Come on, man. It's Tim Tebow. Yes. Embrace the fun, RJ. You know, you want to. I was listening to, I forget which podcast. I listen to a thousand podcasts these days. Um, And I actually to my surprise, had forgotten that this that this happened. Like, I forgot that the Jaguars signed Tebow this offseason. And so, I mean, I know you're joking, but, like, it's amazing to me how that has kind of gone away. Whoa. <laughs> Tebow. Whoa. It's Mo Alley Cox. Forget about that. I'm going Tim Tebow, baby, all the way. I hope you can sleep well at night, Stats. I really hope you can. Like a baby, RJ. Like a Baby. All right, let's move along to the <laughs> offensive line. I'm not spending a lot of time on AFC South tight end. I'm sorry. I'm just, when you're giving me Mo Alley Cox, we're moving on. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- let's just define, though, he is the answer. Like, just just to be clear, Stats was not seriously petitioning for Tebow, for anybody who's listening. That's all I'm I mean, saying. honestly, like, I'm no. fine with it. I, I have no strong feelings about Mo Alley Cox. Might as well pick Tim Tebow. Maybe he might be good. We don't know. Maybe he will be good. In the interest of uh, the mood that you have just established <laughs> for this conversation, uh, when it comes to the offensive line, I can make this quick and easy for you, Stats. All it's right. every Tennessee Titan except for Quentin Nelson. That's it. Like, that's the offensive line. And you can put Quentin Nelson wherever you want. You can play him at tackle. I really don't <laughs> care. Like, it's it's literally all of the Tennessee Titans and Quentin Nelson. Mm, I think I would take Laramie Tunsil at tackle. That's fine. I mean, if, if you really, really want to place Laramie Tunsil and fight for his presence, that actually makes sense um, and ruins my joke. But, you know, it is what it is. I think that you could make an argument that the top two offensive linemen in this division, and Quentin Nelson and Laramie Tunsil, are better than the top two in any other division. Oh, man. Uh it's tough. Yeah, just off the top of my head, I think you might be right. My first thought, obviously, was to go to San Francisco with Trent Williams since he's clearly the best left tackle in the league. But I don't know who the other dude is that you're that you're combining him with. So, yeah, I, I would have to agree. I love Quentin Nelson. And my thought was to go to Dallas in Zach Martin, who's one of the best guards in the NFL. But then I thought, like, who would, you know, who would the other guy be? I mean, you could honestly maybe argue that Z- the combination is Zach Martin and Tyron Smith. You know, just on the Cowboys alone, um, depending on how greatly you view Laramie Tunsil to be uh, or Quentin Nelson individually. But um, but shout out to them. So Quentin Nelson, Laramie Tunsil and pick whatever three Titans you want. There you go. All right. That's going to wrap up the offense, which is basically all Tennessee Titans. I know it's not the most interesting, but that's how the division is constructed. It sort of tells you where things stand. We have the whole defense to go. And I got to tell you, RJ, I don't know about this defense. This is going to be rough. There's one great elite player, and everybody else is kind of along for the ride. We'll tell you who it is when we come back. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Time to get a little defensive as we go through our AFC South preview. 
Not going to lie, not the strongest defense I've ever constructed when doing this exercise, but let's start with the edge rushers. Going to start with a newcomer to the division. I went with Bud Dupree. He had 40 pressures his last in each of his last four years with the Steelers. Now, I do wonder if he can do it, you know, when he's not surrounded by some of the talent that Pittsburgh has, but I still thought he earned a spot on the team. Yeah, I think so. Um, this is a really low-quality division for edge rushers and one where some players have not panned out. So, like, I think if you if we rewound the clock and did this, like, we would say, well, Josh Allen's going to be in the mix. Yannick Ngakwe is going to always be in the mix. You know, Jadeveon Clowney, twice over, is going to always be right. in the mix. Uh, but, yeah, it's tough. And so, Bud Dupree is an excellent selection. And then it's tough. And I'm not saying that this player is not good. I think this player is underappreciated on a national level. Whitney Merciless, but... But that's it. Like that's that's what we're dealing with here. Is is again? Uh, one of my great pals is a Houston Texans fan, and he so he's having a rough year. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, he was one day I was just letting him vent, and he was like, "Who do you put on the season tickets?" And he was like, "Whitney <laughs> Merciless." Um, so he he came down to ultimately, uh, you know, shout out to us, Whitney Merciless, Laramie Tunsil, and Brandon Cooks. Uh, so um, you know, that's it though. When you're putting your left tackle on your season tickets, your roster is barren. So if Trent Williams was on a Niners ticket, you think that would be embarrassing? Yeah, and he's really good. But left (laughs) tackles don't sell tickets, dude. Like, no one's coming to see Quentin Nelson block, and he's amazing. I know he's a guard, but you see my point. Like, if your offensive linemen are the dudes on your tickets, that is rough. I actually went with Josh Allen as the other edge spot. He's had a solid rookie year. He was a little dinged up last year. I'm buying low on Josh Allen, I admit. But in this division, like, I feel like we know what Whitney Merciless is. Not that he's bad, but at least Josh Allen has the potential to be a star. He does. Um, and that's that's kind of what this group is. I mean, like, it's it's just kind of, you know, things that are already not going to be great or potential like that's you know there's a there's a handful of players on this whole AFC South team that you're like yep stone cold superstar right now in the NFL and one of those guys as we move to the interior of the defensive line is DeForest Buckner absolute monster in the middle he stops the run he rushes the passer he causes fumbles he is third in sacks and quarterback hits at defensive tackle since he was drafted in 2016 30 eight sacks, 66 quarterback hits, easy choice, maybe the best player on the entire team, DeForest Buckner. One of the best trades that any team has made in recent memory in the NFL. Shout out to the 49ers who let him walk. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, DeForest Buckner, baller, shot caller. I mean, there's like people, people love to hype up Darius Leonard and obviously we'll get to him in a moment, but DeForest Buckner, I think you're right. He's the best player on that defense. And it's, I mean, Matt Eberflus is one of the you know most, most underrated defensive coordinators in the NFL, putting him in the right, you know, coordinator's hands has really gone a long way for him, but um, there have to be two defensive tackle stats. And I, I don't want to say that th- this wasn't as difficult as like reaching for other positions. Jeffrey Simmons from Tennessee finished as PFF's 11th ranked defensive tackle or interior defender last year. Uh, so you've got two players in the top 11 in the AFC South. So, you know, some respect for the division in that capacity. Um, I think maybe not a projection at this point, still kind of a youngish player, but still, you know, we're working with what we got here. And I'm not trying to say Jeffrey Simmons fits that mold, but uh, I remember we, we did many a Monday football Monday. I've already mentioned Michael Kiss, but uh, where Kiss came in and was very excited about Jeffrey Simmons. So uh, yeah, big time, uh, big time year for Simmons on the Espionation NFL show. And don't forget too, he didn't make his debut until week seven of 2019. So his development may be a little slow. So maybe he's, you know, rounding into form as he's gotten, you know, more reps in the league. I had him on my team as well. Good call by you. Let's go to the linebackers now. I mean, Darius Leonard was the easiest selection. How many guys come into the league and become all pros? Like, that's Darius Leonard. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sure you've dealt with this in some way, shape, or form. And as always, I have to make this about the Cowboys. But, like, it's it's annoying when, you know, as a Cowboys fan, three years ago they drafted Leighton Van Der Esch, and he's having this this rookie season that you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, we've got the the next great, you know, star linebacker in the NFL, only to be outdone 
by somebody else in Darius Leonard and a late round draft pick. So you're thinking like, man, we spent a first round pick on this guy and he's not even the best linebacker in his class. Darius Leonard has proven through the, the you know trial of time. Uh, I know he was excited to see Fred Warner get paid this week. He's going to get paid himself. Uh, I mean, just just a hardworking player, the, the kind of just classic guy you'd like to root for. Um, I, I mean, again, uh, th- there aren't enough superlatives for him. Like it, last year felt like a, a not as great year for him and he still was pff's 10th ranked linebacker like if if you're you know if you're putting in like you know top 10 seasons in years where you're not off but where you're not on your a game you're doing something right absolutely i mean 132 tackles seven tackles for loss three sacks i mean i know tackles aren't the tell-all stat because if you make a tackle 20 yards away from the line of scrimmage is not that great but he's a monster he's a stud he's not better than fred warner even though people like to think he is but Still, the best linebacker in this division. Who else did you have at linebacker? I had Miles Jack. Um, I mentioned PFF's rankings. So I think this will surprise people um, just because I think, generally speaking, we dismiss anything Jaguars related. But Darius Leonard was PFF's 10th ranked linebacker last year. Miles Jack was their 11th ranked linebacker Ooh. last year. Um, so not as low quality of a season as you might have anticipated or might have kind of remembered off the top of your head. I also, I mean, I know he's not, a young player by any means in in terms of NFL age, but I still feel like we haven't totally seen it all. And I think that that's interesting considering people thought his NFL career would be so short given his injury situation coming out of UCLA. Um, So miles Jack, and and there, there aren't a lot of options uh, again, shocker here in the AFC South. Yeah. When you forget about the injury history with Jack, like, I honestly didn't think of it until you said it. And that's amazing considering what he came into the NFL with. That was the other choice for me, Miles Jack. I'm only going two linebackers because I want to go three defensive backs. You know, I, I think we need another uh, another corner on the field. So I'm fine with those two linebackers if you are. I will not lose any sleep at night because of this decision stat. So you're fine. All right. As we move to defensive backs, I said we're going with three. Uh, they're not the three strongest defensive backs in the world, but I went with Bradley Roby. He's been solid since he was drafted in 2014. I know he was suspended six games last year. But since he was drafted, he has been in the 80th percentile for forced incompletion rate for cornerbacks. That matters to me. That's your primary job. So, Bradley Roby, congrats, CB1. CB1? Did I stutter? CB1 is a, is a big, like, that's a big thing to say about somebody, generally speaking. Um, I have in his two- revision. No, I mean, I'm not. I know, I know, I know. I know. I mean, I'm a big, big time Bradley Roby fan over here, Rob Stas Guerrera. Um, I had. I only came up with two corners. I agree that we need three, and neither one of them are Bradley Roby. All right. What do you got? I have Kenny Moore from the Indianapolis Colts and a newcomer as well, Shaq Griffin. Um, some of this is 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 reputation, but again, we're making lemonade here, people. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's what the AFC South is right now. But I'm fine if Bradley Roby's the third guy in this group. Moore was a good selection. I think of him as more of a slot guy, so I'm not going to make him CB1. Uh, I think he's great as a slot corner. I went with Janoris Jenkins as my other corner. Jack Rabbit, again, veteran guy, proven track record. Not great, I fully admit. He's got some warts, but I went Janoris Jenkins, Tennessee Titans, number two. And then if I had to pick a third guy, Kenny Moore. Uh, Janoris Jenkins, one of the few NFL players who I am blocked by. Shout out to me. Sweet. All right. Yeah, I one time uh, was trolling him about Des Bryant owning him. And so, you know, <laughs> he, he was not a fan of that. So, uh, yeah. Is it really trolling if it's true? I mean, he got the better of Des a couple of times. So it was half true is what I will say. The perfect troll. Right. Half true. All right. Let's go to safety now. Uh, Kevin Byard, again, for me, from the Tennessee Titans. He had a little bit of a down year, but he has shown he can be an elite player an all pro that Deion Sanders didn't even know about. If you remember that back in the day, that's coach Um, prime to you stats, by the way, (laughs) what a ridiculous thing that is. Um, But I, part of me wonders if maybe he was trying to make up for such a hideous Tennessee defense around him last year. And maybe that's why he had sort of a down year. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's going to be one of my starting safeties. Yeah, I think that's a, a great pick again, all things considered. I really, am not trying to hate on the AFC South people, but let's, Let's let's just call a spade a spade. Um, and so, hey, I mean, Bayard is 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 a actually, I mean, that's a better pick than I think a lot of 
divisions have to offer at safety. Uh, but after that, it's it's tough. Um, I struggled uh, in terms of coming up with a second safety option because I had Byard as my top one. I went yep. with Karee Willis um, and did not feel great about it. <laughs> I went with Justin Reed just to give the Texans a little bit of love. Um, but you know, he's had some issues last year. He had, he had issues as a tackler. He's getting better, I think. But again, I agree with you. I didn't love whoever I was going to pick in this spot. What about coach for this division? Where are you going? Um, I love Frank Reich. I mean, I really admire him as a person. Every interview with him I've ever heard. I've heard him on some some long form podcasts. I loved an interview he did with Peter King when he first got the Colts job. I think he I mean, you want to talk about making lemonade. I mean, what Frank yes. Reich has done is really impressive. Um, and so if we're taking it off of projection to a degree, I'm definitely taking Frank Reich. But if we're going off of career resume to this point, Mike Vrabel has accomplished a lot. And Mike Vrabel has built the, the more dominant team in the division at this point. And I actually think, I know I, I kind of half joked about Carson Wentz being a wild card factor, but Frank Reich's willingness to roll those dice is almost a, a deduction for me in my mind. You know, like that's, we've seen Frank Reich be this really stable, calm, you know, not passive, but, you know, passively sort of spirited coach um, kind of always willing to, to you know, put in his time to make the right decision. And the Carson Wentz thing, for the first time in this recent Colts era, felt like a little bit of a panic move. Um, so I'll lean Mike Vrabel, but I can certainly be swayed in the Frank Craig direction. Uh, but go ahead and make the case for Urban Meyer, because I know you're pup too. Yeah, right. That's the last <laughs> coach I'd made the case for. The only reason anybody has any hope for this whole Carson Wentz experiment is Frank Reich. If he wasn't there, nobody would be banking on Carson Wentz, you know, bouncing back and returning to the form we saw with the Philadelphia Eagles early in his career. Reich's the only reason. That's how much faith people have in him. And I don't know what, like you touched on it, but I don't want to gloss over it. The situation that he came into in Indianapolis, like just look at his tenure, right? He gets the job because Josh McDaniel screws the Colts says he's going to take the job, hires a staff, and then bails and goes back to New England. Indianapolis is like, what the hell do we do? They wind up hiring Frank Reich. He thinks he's building something. He thinks the life is going to be good. And then what happens? During the preseason, out of the blue, his blue chip superstar quarterback, Andrew Luck, is like, mm, I know I'm only 29 years old. I'm good. I'm done in the NFL. During the preseason, RJ, you were saying earlier, you don't think teams are going to trade for a quarterback because training camp is here? Well, there's Andrew Luck on the sideline during a preseason game and news breaks that he's retiring. It's impressive. Again, the, I think without question, and it, I mean, he's been one of the more resilient coaches in the NFL over the last couple of years. I'd put Ron Rivera up there, too, certainly what he dealt with last year, both on and off the field, obviously. Um but but I mean again I do, I just didn't love the Colts offseason the the Frank or the Carson Wentz thing can certainly pay off but even like bringing T Y Hilton back like the yeah. the, the, the team just kind of it it feels like they're holding on a bit too long and some of that isn't Frank Reich obviously uh, but I mean obviously Frank Reich was heavily involved in the Carson Wentz decision that that organization made even just by the fact that he is who he is um, but so. For, for those reasons, I hate to I hate to apply demerits to somebody who I really respect and Frank Reich, but I, I just, you know, Mike Vrabel has is, is battle tested. And again, we talked, you know, when we built this offense like it. This is the Tennessee Titans, basically. And so that's Mike Vrabel's squad. And so I think it's only fair to have Mike Vrabel be the head coach. But you know where I ding Vrabel? I ding him because you're a defensive guy. He was a former defensive coordinator and your defense stinks. Their defense last year was hideous. And like, how can that be when that's your specialty? So I, I mentioned my my friend that's a Houston Texans fan. I always like, you know, kid him about Mike Vrabel. Like, oh, do you wish the Texans had moved on from Bill O'Brien sooner and hired him? And he's always like, no, I don't. Because the Texans defense was awful under him. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, so I I think sometimes, and I'm not saying you're doing this, we, we lump guys like head coaches into into boxes. Like, you're a defensive guy, you're an offensive guy, so, like, that's supposed to be really great under you. Like, he took that path to becoming a head coach, obviously, like the path of going through the defensive coordinator lens, and he got there. But, I like, it's a, he's a unique guy in that, like, he – 
he didn't, you know, like generally speaking, every year we see like the top flight, you know, offenses and defenses have their coordinators poached to be head coaches. He wasn't a great one. He just happened to be a head coach that, you know, came from the defensive side of the ball. And I just want to say one more thing about Mike Vrabel. You know, he's the guy who famously said that he would chop off his penis to win a Super Bowl. Remember that? And then what happens? They're playing the Ravens. They got the ball in Baltimore's 40. It's fourth and two with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. They're down by four. And what do they do? They punt. So I don't want to hear about what body parts Mike Vrabel is willing to sacrifice to win a Super Bowl when he was too cowardly to go for it on fourth and two in a huge spot. Like, come on, man. That, that I I hate that cowardice, man. These coaches, they got to start going for it on fourth down. Yeah, but the players also have to be blamed. I mean, don't let Aaron, I know you agree with this, but don't let Aaron Rodgers tell you any more times that, you know, Matt LaFleur is the reason the Packers didn't go for it late in the game in the NFC Championship game because Aaron Rodgers had some say in that moment too. That's all I'm saying. You know, let's, let's, let's be fair. Yeah, okay, I can blame some of the players too, but we're specifically talking about Mike Vrabel in this instance, especially when you have Derrick Henry, like we talked about, or Ryan Tannehill, who, as you pointed out, was so mobile that he was a wide receiver in college at one point. Like, I, I just don't want to hear the big talk from Vrabel, you know, during the offseason or whatever. And then when he actually has a chance to back it up on the field, he puckers. Do you agree, though, that he's the, the coach of this team, right, ultimately? No, I think I give it to Frank Reich. I think mm-hmm. I have to go with Frank. He's overcome so much adversity there. They're constantly scrambling for a quarterback in Indianapolis. Had to bring in the ghost of Phillip Rivers and still made the playoffs. Like, I give him a ton of credit so i'm going reich i'm fine with that like i I, like i said i love frank reich i mean he he's a i would love to play around at golf with him because i'm sure he's he's off the tee everywhere he's in every bunker (laughs) but you know what he's he's making par you know what i mean like he's just always scrambling but he's always draining those putts and he's not laying up that's for damn sure um before we go there was one more thing we wanted to touch on and that was some of the covid19 protocols that came out on thursday a lot of players were upset about them Basically, the NFL has given up the carrot and they are going with the stick now to get the remaining players vaccinated. If you have unvaccinated players that cause an outbreak on your team and your team has to forfeit the game, which will happen now, according to the NFL, nobody gets paid. No one gets paid, even the players on the other team that didn't do anything wrong necessarily. And that got a lot of players fired up on Twitter, RJ. Yeah, um, I mentioned this on the daily. I'm sure you listen to stats because you like all, you know, brilliant people listen to every episode of the SB Nation NFL show and you subscribe, you leave ratings, you write reviews. Uh, Those are things that brilliant, you know, handsome, beautiful, charming people do. Um, But uh, DeAndre Hopkins, I think, was the most high profile player to say something about this in a tweet that was deleted uh, that he followed up with a tweet uh, reading freedom with a question mark. I don't know. I mean, I obviously don't know any of these players personally, but I don't know how willing they are to, you know, to go down this path uh, of something they clearly believe in, uh, where they're threatening seemingly retirement, walking away from the game. Obviously, Cole Beasley has has shared a lot of comments on social media before. Um, I don't think Cole Beasley has tweeted anything since uh, Mark Cuban uh, tweeted that he would buy Cole Beasley's wife a share, I believe, a Pfizer stock um, if he got the vaccine and promoted it uh, because because the the lineage of that is Cole questioned why all of these companies were getting free marketing uh, companies like Pfizer uh, for the um, for the vaccination because it's a life saving vaccine, you idiot. I'm sorry, man. I have no tolerance for this. Well, I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you what Mark Cuban said. That's all. I'm just, I'm just I, catching you this up. This is so stupid and illogical by these players. Shoot me up with Toradol, coach. I got to get back out there and play. Give me any addictive, dangerous painkiller because I got to go get that bag. Sure, I'm risking the health of my brain every single second I'm out there on the field, and I might be a vegetable by the time I'm 40. That's okay. I got to go and play. What a life-saving vaccine that's proven safe and effective that can help secure the lives of your loved ones and any other human being you come into contact with. That's where you draw the line. I'm sorry. That is utter bullshit. Okay. It is ridiculous. It's illogical. And these players that don't want to do it, that sit there and whine about choice are idiots. Um, so I don't want to 
dismiss your point stats, uh, certainly. And obviously, it's a subject that a number of people, all people, uh, feel levels of passion about in, in different capacities. It's unfortunate that this has become such a political issue, obviously. Um, but the level of emotion and passion that people share is why I think the NFL is um, is on path for um, some some difficult. I, I don't even I don't even know that they're difficult decisions because I think the NFL is of the mindset that you know okay you want to retire go ahead you know we'll yep. we'll move on we'll play football. The last thing stats before we absolutely leave. Uh, I saw this tweet uh, just now while you were uh, uh, expressing yourself. Again, I love stats and and always have stats as back. Um, uh, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, his tweet just reads, Sources, Saints star wide receiver Michael Thomas is expected to miss the start of the 2021 season after undergoing surgery to repair the ligaments in his ankle in June based on the timing of the surgery and recommended four months of recovery. Thomas could be on the sideline for weeks. Did he just get injured now? Is that why he's having a surgery so late? I would assume that's the reason, because otherwise, why wouldn't he have taken care of this earlier in the offseason? I have no idea. Um, but if if he had it in June, the surgery, and if it's a recommended four months of recovery time, that means he is out till October. Now, the Saints stats are one of the four teams who have the earliest buy. They have a buy in week six. Uh, their first five games, Packers at Carolina, at New England, Giants at Washington. Then they have their bye. And their next game after their bye is October 24th, uh, which is about, you know, four months from the middle of June, obviously. That's a Monday night game at Seattle. And that stretch gets tough for them at Seattle, Tampa Bay at home, Atlanta at Tennessee, um, at Philadelphia. And then they play Buffalo on Thanksgiving. Um, so Saints are in an interesting spot, needless to say. No, it's not interesting. It's going to be boring because they're going to lose and they're going to lose a lot. And I don't know why people have a hard time grasping this. Their quarterback situation is a dumpster fire. Now you're telling me their best wide receiver is going to be out. They're not going to be good. Like that's just, it's not a mystery. It's not that difficult to figure out. They aren't going to be good. I'm sorry, Saints fans. Maybe you'll get a good draft pick and you'll be able to take somebody and return to glory very soon. But this year you're going to stick. That's going to do it for this edition of The Look Ahead. Again, rate, review, and follow the SB Nation NFL show. It is training camp time, baby. We made it. We will be here with you to break down everything happening in training camp next week as the real teams that matter get on the field and report. Enjoy your weekend, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.